The Film Guide with Alex Mackay, part of the St Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Welcome along to another edition of the St Albans Film Guide and uh, this week joining me is none other than Alex Mackay. Hello Danny. Oh, we didn't learn from last time. There you go. Didn't change the locks in time. You're back. You made it in. Yeah, there's nothing you can do now. We've already started this show. It's, it's yeah. not going back now. No, that's it. Uh, anyway, let, let, let's let's just get this over with, shall we? Yeah, as quickly as possible. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're looking at Alex's choice of films on free-to-air TV. That'll be in the final part. We're also looking at a, a topical movie that, um, that that Alex has chosen. Now, that doesn't mean a current movie. No, 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 no. That's just a topical movie, a movie that in some way links to something topical. There'll be a reason for that, and Alex will give that away a bit later. Uh, Then uh, we'll also be looking at uh, any releases on the streaming services, just one from Netflix that Alex is highlighting. But first of all, let's talk talk about what's hot and what's new at the cinema, Alex. Let's start with a film that has already been out in the cinema for about two weeks now. It's been mentioned on the last couple of shows, and I've actually seen this, and it is still running uh, over the weekend in the cinemas, and that is the Marvel film Black Widow, the the long anticipated, uh, much um, postponed uh, Black Widow film uh, starring Scarlett Johansson. After years and years of people clamouring for the character to have their own solo film, it's finally happened after the character's already been written out of the franchise because logic. But uh, this is finally uh, out there, and it's a it's a very fun. So, so spoiler alert here, but she, she's already dead in the series. Then is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, spoiler alert. That happened two years ago. <laughs> okay. So they're they're releasing her solo standalone film two years after killing her off because logic. Right. But yeah. But this is set in her past, isn't it? This is an origin yes. story. They've not they've not done a sneaky thing where they like a Fast and Furious thing where you see someone die horribly and then they've brought them back. Yeah, but you don't need logic it. when you've got family with the Fast and Furious yeah, films. Obviously. But with um, Black Widow, it's not quite a, a prequel on origin because they kind of covered her origins in the second Avengers movie. Uh, this is set in between the films Captain America Civil War and Avengers Infinity War, um, where Captain America, Scar- uh, I was going to say Scarlet Witch, uh, Black Widow, um, and a few other characters, they're on the run from the, from the government. And this is sort of set um, in between in that time period where she sort of is on the run goes across Europe and ends up reconnecting with people from her past and uh, it does delve into where she came from and like her, her previous background as a, a black widow but it doesn't go the, all the way back to like here's how she got her start it's she's getting revenge on the people that made her who she is uh, specifically Ray Winston in a very 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 uh, interesting accented role it's Russia by way of um, Leighton Stone or something yeah something like that yeah here on Russian leave it out it, that's basically exactly yeah. it turn it in like I've got a team of black widows like I don't know yeah, that was uh, like that was like having him in the room just to, know, just right? in case uh, anybody from his legal team listening Ray Winston wasn't here just then that was he Alex wasn't, no Anyway, uh, okay, so so Black Widow as well. For those who don't know, she's one of the superheroes that isn't actually super. She's just a hero. She hasn't actually got superpowers, has she? She's a trained spy, essentially. Yeah. So sometimes you get that. You get that with with Batman. You know, his, his superpowers. He's rich. Yeah. You know that is. sort of thing. And hers, she's just a highly skilled spy, assassin type woman. Um, so she's not actually like she can't fly and stuff like that. No, highly trained uh, in martial arts, uh, a super spy, essentially. Yeah. And there's, a, there's one or two other Avengers that don't have actual superpowers, but they're quite skilled. And but but yeah, she's one of the the humans. Yeah, 
Okay. Um, yeah, so Scarlett Johansson's in there. You've got David Harbour from Stranger Things He's as well. He's great in this film. Okay. And it, it, it's a, like a comedic take of his role in Stranger Things. Okay. Uh, Rachel Weisz is in there as well. Mrs. Uh, Daniel Craig. Uh, yeah. You mentioned Ray Winston. Or William Hurt, who I believe has been... He was in, wasn't he in one of the Incredible he's, Hulk films? Yeah, he's a character called General Ross who has made uh, sporadic appearances throughout the franchise. Is mainly an antagonist in, in the Incredible Hulk franchise but they you know he had a contract for several other appearances so they've been throwing him in here and okay. there okay uh, Olga Kurilenko uh, from um, Quantum of Solace another Bond link there um, she's she- barely in it is she really? No, she's not in it for much. That's a bit of a waste, isn't yeah. it? She's quite Florence, good. Uh, Florence Pugh, though, as uh, a, a sort of stepsister to the Black Widow, who is another trained widow, who uh, this really does feel like a, a vehicle for her. I, I think maybe her character's going to appear in other Marvel yeah, properties. Yeah, apparently, is it Kevin Feige? Is that Kevin the name? Feige. Feige? What, whatever. Um, Kev, as I call him. Uh, I'll make he, Kev. He's one of the producers of the Marvel studio, or he's the top head of he's Marvel Studios, isn't he? the person that he? oversees the entire franchise. Yeah, and he has said apparently that he was so impressed with Florence Pugh's performance that they plan to include her in future movies and she may become the new Black Widow. I think there's one specific a specific thing coming up on Disney Plus that's going to have her in it. I, I, I don't want to say anything plot-wise, but I'm pretty sure she's going to turn up in there. She is great, and uh, her scenes with David Harbour in particular, they really bounce off each other brilliantly. Actually, all four of them, they sort of play... Um, they, they sort of wore, were a quasi-family, and um, they kind of reconnect through, you know, because plot. Okay. And, so yeah, that's great. So that's Black Widow, which is out now. Um, Alex has seen it. Alex likes it. Would that be fair to say? I enjoyed it. Uh, It's not one of the top tier Marvel films, but it's an enjoyable action film nonetheless. Okay. Yes would also have done. Alex has seen it. Alex enjoyed it. Why use one word where you can use ten? Yes. So anyway, right, <laughs> in the bit that's already overrunning, there's three more films to talk about. So, so tell us what else is coming out. I, I'm, not, I'm guessing you're not as enthused about these uh, as, as you were about that one. I've got to be honest, with these three coming to the cinema, I don't think I'll willingly be going to see any of them. But that doesn't mean there aren't people out there that, that won't want to see them. You described them as a load of old crap off there. Uh, yeah, I, I believe my words were a cornucopia of crap. There you go. So start off with uh, with dollop number one. Yeah, uh, crap number one. <laughs> Space Jam, A New Legacy. This is, I don't want to say long-awaited sequel. It is the, the sequel to 1996's Space Jam, which do- doesn't look like it has anything to do with the original film, aside from there's a basketball game and Looney Tunes characters, which has now been expanded to any IP Warner Brothers owns they've thrown in I think right okay but but yes I mean that was it wasn't that in essence the original one they, they took a, a famous basketball player at the time put him in with a load of um, yep. the, the um, Warner Brothers cartoons so Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck and all that yeah. and it's basically more the same but they limited that to just the Looney Tunes whereas this looks like they have thrown in anything they own Right into the background at the very, very least. So this is LeBron James, okay, uh, and his son is stolen by a, a supercomputer AI played by Don Cheadle, because of course, okay. So, so is this his son or is this an actor playing his son? I didn't. I, to be honest, you don't care, I do you? I, no, <laughs> I didn't okay. look it up. But this is. I'm presuming this, it's an actor. This is fun for the little people, isn't it? Uh, I don't actually know who this is for. Even even kids, I don't think... Oh, I'm the... pleased you've done research on this. No, genuinely, having looked at the footage, having looked at all the trailers, I, I don't know. I can't safely say the kids are going to like this. I, I think it's safe to say this is for the little ones because it's got, you know, cartoony characters in it that are I think it's them. safe to say they're throwing things at the wall in the hope it's going to make them money. I don't think kids are going to like this unless people really want to see well, Porky Pig okay. rapping. Let's be careful because you've not actually seen the movie. Um, but, but yes, it would look like it is aimed at the little people. I think just say yes Alex yes, or sure. no sure 
Right. It's got it's got Bugs Bunny, Porky Pig, all the others. Is you know, although they look slightly different in their animation, they look more more like they try to three D them. They do. Well, they're, they're, Bugs Bunny's got fur now. There is two D, and they they turn into three D later on. Ah, okay. So they start off what looking more more traditional, and then look a little. LeBron bit more. ends up in Looney Tune Town, and then there has to be a basketball game to save his son, and at that point, everyone turns into three D. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. One yeah, not sure for the li- one not for the little people. The Forever Purge. Yes, this is the fifth film in the uh, the Purge franchise. Uh, uh, apparently, it's not just films. That I found out right before we started that it, there's TV shows and everything, um, which really shows the longevity of the project. Uh, this is a film set the day after the Purge is over. Uh, where a, a gang basically um, decide to terrorise uh, a few families of rich people, saying, like, the purge isn't just one day, it's forever. So, so for those who don't know, that the idea is, is it's set in the very near future, and it's set where one day a year there is no law. They're, they're from, from, like, 9pm at night through to 9am in the morning or something like that, you, people can do what they want. There's no and such so, thing as crime. You can do anything, and yeah. people tend to lean towards let's commit murder. Yeah, and so, so you know, citizen, good citizens um, barricade themselves, hide away. Um, ne'er-do-wells are out shooting and, and looting and all sorts, and that's kind of the premise. And, yep. and each time somebody gets trapped, somebody's trapped outdoors, isn't safe, and then he's finding their way home. There's a bit of a twist with this one where it's not that they're trapped so as i said it's it's the day after and there's this uh group of bandits that uh, don't care that it's only one day of the year um uh, and the the family that we go on the journey with the film they're actually trying to flee to mexico to escape okay. so it, it's kind of like a, a survival uh, on the run movie as opposed to something where they're trapped in one enclosed space okay i must admit i liked the first one I thought it was dark. I thought it was quite scary. I thought it was very well played. Um, Ethan Hawke was really good in it. Lena Headey um, from uh, Game of Thrones was good as well. It, it it was good. I've not seen the others. I suspect it's kind of the law of diminishing returns, isn't it? Maybe. I haven't seen any of them. There was an interesting discussion a couple of weeks on, uh, back on the show between uh, Chris and Sam, where uh, Sam really loves horror movies, and Chris said that he likes some of them, but he likes ones that are more slow building as opposed to just gore and violence and I I feel the same way as well yeah. um, but Bloomhouse the, the company that did do these films they have done a very good job at finding an audience that love these kind of movies okay The Forever Purge uh, which is out this week uh, the final one again aimed at the little people anyone who think there's a summer holiday coming up it's <laughs> The Croods I believe that's how you got to say it but it's The Croods colon A New Age yep this is the sequel to the original Croods film The Croods <laughs> Uh, so uh, this time around, they are trying to find a new place to live, and they bump into another family, but they're not prehistoric. They are slightly more of a modern family with some more modern sensibilities. And uh, again, I haven't seen the film, but I'm I'm going to assume that there is a little bit of friction. They realise they're a bit different to each other, and then a common goal unites them when they find out that even though they're different, there's a lot of similarities, and they all get along very well by the end of the credits. Okay, we don't know for sure if they are actually a prehistoric family or just Scottish but anyway it's the Croods <laughs> a new age and they're the first family let's put it like that okay we'll have more in a bit Hi I'm Matt Adams the heart of the Hearts Advertiser for over 10 years join me and host Danny Smith for St Albans Podcast a weekly look at the news views and reviews of the city and district of St Albans as well as our delve into the local stories that matter we regularly cover topics including health food and drink legal matters, the theatre scene and mental health. Alongside our regular features, we talk to people from our wonderful community, sharing some of the amazing work they do. 
Episodes are released every Wednesday at 7pm and you can find us by going to your podcast platform of choice and searching for the St Albans Podcast. Find out more at stalbanspodcast.com. Time now for us to take a look at uh, new releases on the streaming services. Just one from Netflix this week, and it's the third film. Uh, each week we've been mentioned, so there, there's a trilogy of films, yes. and Netflix has been releasing one a week, and this is the final part of the, th- the, the trilogy. Yes, of Fear Street. Uh, these are based on the books by R.L. Stein, uh, who also wrote Goosebumps, and there was a great discussion uh, between Sam and Chris as they sort of delved into the backstory of those books as well. So uh, the premise of this one is there is a witch hunt taking place in a town in uh, 1666 and uh, then bringing it to the setting of our central characters throughout the trilogy um, it intercedes with the curse that's over this town and they're, they're trying to lift and break the curse once and for all and obviously the two storylines converge uh, I haven't sat down to watch any of these yet as I, as I just said not the biggest horror guy in the world but I did love the Goosebumps books growing up I never read the Fear Street books I must admit but these do really look good to me and I'm looking forward to watching them it's quite interesting how they brought out one a week uh, for the last three weeks now and and so the first one was set in 1994 the second one is in 1978 and this one in 1666 and also 1994 yes okay so uh now rl stein and goosebumps i i'm i'm probably a bit too old so i probably missed it because i think it was a it was a children's tv series wasn't it but based on a series of books is that right um and now is this doesn't look like it's for children no I so was if, it was it for children, and but they've just made it a bit more R-rated, as they say, or, or was it always that, that this particular series was a bit more grown up? I ne- I've never read Fear Street, but I, I'm going to assume that that is probably the case, where they were probably, if not for kids, maybe younger adults, you know, teenagers, things like that, and they've just decided um, that, you know, I mean, horror is always a popular genre, um, and there's only so much you can do making a horror movie for children, or, or for younger, uh, younger adults, so um, yeah, I don't blame Netflix for going the whole hog and just well they will be relieved <laughs> yes mr netflix will be very very happy to hear yeah that. yeah uh, no i i mean i have a lot of fond memories of the goosebumps books but i can't tell you anything about the fear street books i didn't know they existed until that you know this uh you know these films started coming all right, out. all right all right enough with all the research you've done for this uh i'm clearly well prepared <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah. I do like that they've been released uh, once a week as opposed to once every couple of months or once every year. It feels like a bit of a, a, a of an event release. Uh, I'm, I'm quite on board with that kind of model for Netflix. Okay, so um, uh, yes, and it is just a trilogy. There aren't any plans to make any more, but I believe there are more books. So there's not another one coming out next week? No, right, this is okay. the last one in this. Okay. But they have... Netflix have said they're open to making more. Right, okay. Uh, the I've just looked it up because someone had to. Um, Fear Street is a teenage horror fiction series by R.L. Stein. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, the books were aimed at teenagers. Um, and the series, I guess maybe it's it's R-rated as they, they, they call it in the States. I guess older teenagers could probably legitimately watch that. In the UK, if they were in the cinema, I'd probably say they were 15. Yeah, yeah. That probably makes sense, doesn't it? But yes, so the films, it was a trilogy of films. Uh, and uh, yeah, they've all been released. The final one out now. Uh, okay, that's it. That's on Netflix. Uh, no releases to talk about on the other streaming services for now. Or oh, in a minute, I'm looking forward to this. We, we've got another um, quality film from... Uh, he's looking pleased with himself. That's never a good thing. Quality film and quality director. Uh, let's find out if he's telling the truth or not in a moment. 
The Film Guide with Alex Mackay, part of the St Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Yeah, I'm afraid so. We're back with Alex Mackay. Uh, so let's look now at uh, at the next part of the film guide. And you have chosen a film that you're saying is topical in some way. Yes. And the reason it's topical is because last week uh, we lost uh, the great director, Richard Donner. Uh, he passed away. And uh, he has made many, many great movies over the years. He's responsible for the Lethal Weapon franchise. He directed The Goonies, The Omen. He also uh, made a great Christmas film called Scrooged, which flies a little bit under the radar, but it's a great no, film. No, it doesn't. Film. Really? No, no, it's a classic. And I think it's well known as a classic. It's not as well known as, let's say, Muppet Christmas Carol or... No, no, no. I disagree. You, you, you've been lit, had your head in the sand or really? something. Really? Okay. Scrooge was a massive film. Well, he also directed a film called Radio Flyer, which I loved as a kid, but on, on, when I looked it up to do this particular portion of the show, it turns out it wasn't well received, but I liked it growing up. But okay. anyway. he, he started out, I mean, just because just I doubt you'd have done this research, but he started out uh, <laughs> do, doing television. And uh, in fact, in the uh, 60s, he had directed uh, TV programs like Perry Mason and The Man from Uncle, uh, and he'd done episodes of The Twilight Zone and, and other things that may still be the names might be known uh, get smart uh the fugitive he did a lot of those things back in the day the banana splits he directed episodes of that which was a children's thing that some might may remember but then he he graduated to television oh and then in the 70s he did ironside it says here and uh canon the streets of san francisco which is a very young michael douglas in in that he worked um, on television uh well into the 90s he did stuff like tales from the crypt he yeah. worked on kojak which yes. is a very famous 70s uh, cop show he did that as well but then he got his big break in movies with the omen which he th- and and you think you know horror uh, but a very good classic so horror. Those are the kind of horror films I like where it's it's a nice slow burn and it's more about building the tension and slowly releasing also, it like a it, valve. It, it was a big budget horror as opposed to sort of cheap slasher type yeah. movies. This had a good cast in it, The Omen. Um, was it Gregory Peck? Uh, I don't know why I would have asked you that. Gregory Peck and Lee <laughs> Remick um, who were who, uh, in that. Gregory Peck being quite a big film star and, and did a wonderful job with The Omen. Very scary film. And then he made... People believe that a man can fly. He did, and, and that's indeed. kind of leading into where you where we're going with this now, isn't it? Yeah, which you might uh, be inclined to think is the first Superman movie, but it's actually my pick. It's a slightly obscure one: Superman Two, the Richard Donner cut. So, so for listeners who aren't aware of this, he directed Superman, and he's credited as directing Superman Two. And at the time, they were made as one movie. They 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 were filmed back to back. But he was, we'll pick up the story from there, because he was fired, wasn't he? There were creative differences uh, between himself and Warner Brothers and Richard Lester, who uh, is a great filmmaker in his own right. He also directed things like uh, Help, the Beatles film Help. He was brought in to finish uh, what became Superman 2. And for years and years and, and years. uncredited, I believe. I think it was still credited as Richard Donner. But, yes. But he reshot most of the movies, is that right? Yes including sequences that were in what became the Donner cut. He just he just completely redid them. And sort of similar to what we've seen recently with uh, the Justice League movie, with the, the, the Zack Snyder thing, for years people really wanted to see what the original version of the film would have been. And after Superman Returns came out, um, they decided, Warner Brothers decided, to go through all the footage that they had. And um, Richard Donner came in and supervised it, and they did some new uh, special effects. And they put together a cut of what would have been the original intention for Superman 2. And 
I mean, Superman 2, the the theatrical version, it, I struggle with it, particularly after the first one. I think it got it right so sincerely and earnestly. And the second one, it really leans into slapstick and that, like, the villains, you're supposed to think they're these terrifying forces, but that they're also quite silly and stupid a lot of the time. And and uh, so I, I watched the Richard Donner cut because I've, I've got a box set of the, the Superman movies. Yes. And it's in there. And and one thing that struck me is how unpolished it is because there there were some scenes where they actually used audition footage because it's all footage, they had yes. um, of, to, 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 to represent those scenes. And, yes. And it, it's jarring. It stands out because the quality of the image is so different from other bits. But it gives you a flavour of yes. what his movie was going to be like. And his movie was slow slightly darker but incredibly different yes and uh, yeah the, the villains are, are much more uh, um dangerous particularly the, the big brutish character non who doesn't talk like in the original version there's silly sound effects and he's a bit of a lumbering ox whereas this one he genuinely feels like like a, a, a serial killer almost there's a lot of great stuff to do with gene hackman's lex luther and his his uh mole miss tessmacher she gets a lot of great lines in this version and there's a lot of great stuff um, between uh, Superman and Margot Kidder's Lois Lane. Uh, they completely redid the way that she finds out he's Superman. So in the original, she jumps into Niagara Falls and he falls into some fire. And um, actually, this is the screen test footage that you just alluded to. The way she finds out in this film is she pretends she's going to shoot him. And uh, Superman, obviously being impervious, but it just assumes, oh, she shot me. So he bolts upright. And he's like, okay, now you know my big secret. And then Lois Lane goes, I was shooting blank. So yeah, I, I just had a hunch. It's really, really great. Um, um, I actually got a, got a fact slightly wrong there. I know it's not like me. But um, no, not. Superman 2 was released as being a Richard Lester movie. Ah, but but Donner was uncredited because some of his footage survived, but not much of it. No, a um, lot of it was reshot. The same sequences just done, like the, the confrontation scene in The Fortress of Solitude. They used all the same beats, but they they just shot it again and added more light-hearted stuff and okay. things like throwing a giant plastic S off of his chest. That luckily isn't in the Donner cut. And there's also Marlon Brando. Um, the footage that they had originally shot with Marlon Brando wasn't in the theatrical version of Superman 2, and it's actually re uh, re restored here. As okay. you said, not... It, it's a bit rough around the edges because they couldn't. So, where can everything. people get hold of this? Is this available? Is this easily easy to watch? Because this was effectively an extra on the box set that I've got of Superman. I would imagine you could rent it on places like Amazon and YouTube and things like that. I don't know if it's available on streaming services directly without paying an additional amount. I uh, I also have a Superman box set, so that is where I have my copy from as well. She was like in a silver box. Yes. Yeah, it's possibly yes. the same. In fact, I can't find mine now, and you used to live in my place, so maybe that's how you got it. Maybe. Maybe. Um, we'll never know. Mm, yeah. But I imagine if, because YouTube and Amazon are very good at being able to, uh, to uh, you, you can rent movies from their services. Yeah, no, no, it, it is available to rent on online streaming services, so it, 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 you can get hold of it. So if you are interested, make sure you look specifically for the Richard Donner cut Yes, Superman 2. That's what you're recommending right now. Um, and I, other Richard Donner films as well. He was a great filmmaker. Uh, I mean, he made f six movies with Mel Gibson, um, in which which is quite a lot. He did four Lethal Weapon movies. Yeah. Um, he did 
the, the oh, what was the film called? Um, Conspiracy Theory with yes. Julia Roberts and Patrick Stewart, which was really good film. Late nineties, that one. Uh, yeah, ninety seven. Um, and but before that, one of my favourite non um, Lethal Weapon films that they did together was Maverick. Uh, which, if you've never seen that, that is such a good film. Uh, it captures all the fun and the essence of the original. And as good as Jodie Foster and Mel Gibson is, mm. the guy who steals the show is uh, James Garner, the original Maverick, oh, who's in wow. there, and he's brilliant. Um, he's so good uh, and, and yeah well worth watching yeah. Um, and, and yeah and, and also it's interesting because lots of cameos from people from other Richard Donner movies yes uh, including Danny Glover and there's a oh, little great. bit where they just like, he's robbing a bank and he looks at Mel Gibson and they and then they play just a little lick of music from from Lethal Weapon and 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 they're kind of huh? yeah. and it's yeah there have been some really really lovely stories coming out as well so he was a great director but apparently people just loved working with him um, there was a story that the only time somebody saw him yell at anybody on the set saying like why are you here wasn't because that person had done anything wrong the day before he'd overheard that that guy's son was playing at a, a like a, a baseball game and he's like what are you doing go go be with your son. Like, your son needs you now. I don't need you till tomorrow. It's all good. Like, he just sounded like a lovely man. He's also, uh, his wife, Lauren Shuladonna, uh, is a great producer in her own right. Like, they were a real powerhouse guy. Yeah. Okay. So, that's uh, that's um, Alex's special choice uh, this time around. Uh, that's Superman 2, The Richard Donner Cut. A very different film from the Superman 2 that you might have seen uh, from, I think, 2006 when they when They, uh, they finally released that. it then. Yep. Um, so, yeah, look out for that. Superman 2, The Richard Donner Cut. Hi, I'm Elspeth Jackman, inviting you to listen to my podcast, One to One with Elspeth. Find a local person with a story, and I'll be there to draw out all those little details you want to know about. If I'm fascinated, so will you be. Each week, I'll be talking to an interesting character who has a tale to tell. And the beauty of it is, you can listen whenever you want to. To find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for the St. Albans Podcast. Alternatively, go to stalbanspodcast.com slash Elspeth. That's One to One with Elspeth, part of the St. Albans Podcast in association with the Hearts Advertiser. You never know, you could be my next guest. Time now to look at Alex's choice of films on free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week, beginning with uh, Friday the 16th of July. Uh, BBC One is where we're heading to first. Uh, Alex, for a simple favour. Yes. I've always noticed with you, the favours are never simple. Well, enough about my private life. This is a film by uh, Paul Feiger, directed Bridesmaids. Uh, this is starring Anna Kendrick, and uh, it is also starring Blake Lively. A uh, bit of a hybrid, this one. A bit of a bit of a thriller, a bit of a mystery, but also there's a lot of comedy in it, which I was a bit surprised by when I went to. But it's a really, really fun mishmash of these different genres. Um, uh, Anna Kendrick's character is like a, a single mother who uh, tries to make a living sort of doing like a, a baking YouTube show and um, one day she meets a, one of the parents at her daughter's school uh, played by Blake Lively who's a bit enigmatic and, and a little bit uh, not, a, not aloof but there seems that there's, there's something odd going on with her and she, they befriend each other and they start hanging out spending time together and then one day she disappears and people think it's Anna Kendrick's fault. And so Anna Kendrick uh, tries to figure out the truth of, of what's happened and why it might have happened. So it's mostly a thriller. 
but it's also very funny in places. Great soundtrack as well. A really, really fun film. And when it came out, it felt like it was a little bit under the radar. It, did, it sort of came and went without much fanfare. But I really, really enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to watching it again. I, I, as you started to describe it, you, when you well, when you eventually go around to describing it, I realised I've seen it. And it hadn't dawned on me to begin with, but, uh, but no, I've seen it. I kind of thought the tone was a bit... I liked it on the whole, and I thought mm. there's some bits that were quite thrilling and some bits that were quite funny, but but uh, I'm not quite sure it always got the balance quite right, and it felt a little bit jarring that one minute she was being klutzy and yes. comical, and then other bits it was quite serious, and you, it felt, as an audience member, like you didn't quite know which bits to take seriously and which bits to laugh at. It did feel a bit uneven tonally, I, I will agree In places, yeah. Yeah, it, it's not perfect. They're, they're, it does feel like you're watching two different films cut together. Um, on the whole, I do think it's a very enjoyable film. Uh, but but yeah, you, you're quite right. It, it doesn't always land. And sometimes she's very ditzy in the stereotypical Anna Kendrick role. And other times it's like she's a character in a thriller. Yeah, and sometimes you kind of think, is she the same character we saw a minute ago? Because mm. suddenly she's doing things that seem incredibly out of character. Yeah. And then uh, and then she's about to be yeah. ditzy again. Yeah, one scene she's teaching people how to bake these particular cupcakes. And another scene she's going through this old house, like investigating yeah. things. But you get beyond that, yes, and it's quite good. And um, Blake Lively is particularly good, very, very charismatic, from what I remember. Very, because the character Anna Kendrick character kind of has a bit of a bit of a girl crush on her, doesn't mm. she? She's sort of very much looking up to this woman and and, and mm. what, all, idolizing her almost. And then yeah, yeah, and, and it's yeah, very well done, very um, enigmatic that character. Mm, yeah, that's a simple favor. Um, and that's on BBC One, 10.35pm on Friday the 16th of July. Let's move to your choice for Saturday the 17th of July, 9pm uh, on BBC One once again. Yep, yeah, uh, this is Dunkirk, the Christopher Nolan film from 2017. I feel like um, any film that basically says a film by Christopher Nolan, it feels like a seal of quality. Uh, this is obviously based on the Battle of Dunkirk, and it's telling three different stories from three different perspectives at three different points of the battle. So you have right before the battle, um, somebody getting on a boat. You have during the battle, um, Tom Hardy playing a, a Spitfire pilot. And then you have... Um, actual uh, members of um, the platoon on the beach uh, played by Harry Styles and a few other actors Harry Styles surprisingly great I, I went into that film with a lot of cynicism because a lot of times when pop stars can I just say you sound act, so disappointed by saying that you say, oh, I wanted really good yeah that's the thing because I I rolled my eyes when I heard about that and I thought what's Christopher Nolan doing and every time I've seen Harry Styles act in something whether it's Saturday Night Live or Dunkirk or he's been really really good and even his music since he's gone solo he's turned into a very interesting person and I gotta be honest he really really uh, impressed me with his acting I'd, I hate to say it but he did and I was wrong I was absolutely wrong now some of Christopher Nolan's stuff likes to play with the time a little bit yes this isn't as confusing as Tenet but it does it's done from three different uh, periods of time so like right before the battle a couple of hours before the battle um, you know we're, we're, we're basically following the story from three different perspectives aren't we yes and, and am I right is it a spoiler to say that the different perspectives are not running to the same time frame no I think you're right I, I think I, I haven't seen it. I heard of of that. It's uh, yeah. It's it all just sort of come together at the end as it often does. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't want to go too heavily into the plot, but it is done from a couple of different time periods and it is done from a few different perspectives from a few different characters. Okay, uh, good cast in there. Tom Hardy, Mark Rylance as well. Um, yep. And uh, yeah, to Christopher Nolan, who who is a director who who is by very definition these days a safe pair of hands. I'll be interested to see if they've done anything to include uh, to clear up the audio though. Because when I went to see it in the cinema, mm. much like when I went to see uh, The Dark Knight Returns, I couldn't understand half of what Tom Hardy was saying because he, you know, he has a mask on. Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises. Sorry, I said Dark Knight Returns. Um, that's a different film, but I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just Tom Hardy mumbles a lot when he has masks on, or just Chris Nolan really likes putting Tom Hardy with in masks. So basically, Christopher Nolan, Tom Hardy equals mumbling. Is that what basically, you're saying? I couldn't understand half of it. I could hear the like the whir of the like the the Spitfire engines. Wow! But, and Ladies and gentlemen, join us for the yeah. decline of Alex Mackay. <laughs> but literally, all I could hear with Tom Hardy's dialogue was. And I so I feel like I need to watch it with subtitles to figure out what was going on with his character. But other than that, great film. Wow, I think you sold it right there. Well, but it's it's a recurring theme because there were people that um, complained about Tenet in a similar way as well. Okay, so. Saturday, seventeenth of July, nine p.m. on BBC One, Dunkirk. Let's move to your choice for Sunday film four this time, four forty-five p.m. Hail Caesar. Yeah, I love this film. This is a Coen Brothers movie. Um, it's about, uh, well, it's kind of about a character that's uh, uh, a Mr. Fix-It for a movie studio uh, played by uh, by uh, Josh Brolin. And it, it goes from there. It gets very, very uh, out there. And you have characters like Channing Tatum. And there's a few different things that need to be dealt with, such as uh, a star that's gone missing, Um there's also some gossip columnists there and uh, job offers. This is all taking place in about one day. And it did, did you know it's based on a true story? You're going to think I'm making this up now. I do. V- loosely based. Particularly the, remembering the because, end. Because Eddie Mannix, the guy that Josh Brolin plays, was a real character. He was a, oh, re- he was a real fixer in Hollywood. And uh, this it says here, this is a heavily... Heaven- a heavily fictionalised comedic film. going to uh, say. Very loosely based on Mannix's career. Not the first time he's been played on the big screen, though. Do you know who else played him? Go on. I'll give you a clue. Is it his father? No. Um, the Long Good Friday. Bob Hoskins. Bob Hoskins played him. Wow. In, in the film Hollywoodland, based on the life and death of um, actor George Reeves, who was an early actor who played Superman. I've not seen Hollywoodland, but I know it's Ben Affleck playing him. Yeah, it's a really good film. Quite a dark film. It, it has... Uh, if you think of um, L.A. Confidential, that kind of feel to it. S- a similar setting, and and uh, yeah, and Bob Hoskins plays Mannix in that movie. Uh, so so um, Ben Affleck's the only person who I believe on screen has played both Superman and Batman. Oh wow! Anyway, that's a hell Caesar. Um, no, 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 no. You do that in the minute. No, but my name no, is the thing. That's interesting. Um, yeah, so he's um, the only person to play Batman and Superman because in Hollywoodland, this there's. there's um, footage of Ben Affleck dressed as Superman, playing George Reeves, playing Superman. But yeah, so he's, he's slowly making he's his way by. through all of the major male superheroes. Daredevil. Yeah, he, he, he's uh, yeah he's doing uh, he's doing Iron Man next. <laughs> no, but I do really adore Halsey's. There's a particularly brilliant scene um, with uh, Ray Fiennes as a Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes. Well, his that guy uh, he is most a, people get his first his, his Christian know. name wrong not his surname well there's this great scene where he's playing a director trying to uh, teach uh, his actor 
how to say the phrase would the detour so simple the right way and it is one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen in any Coen Brothers movie I love it and and the actor is is it Alden Emmerich who yes. went on to play uh, Harrison Ford didn't he in yep. Star Wars but not playing so well um, anyway uh, okay so that's uh, that's the, the great I thought he did a good job in Solo great yeah and you're Solo on that um, <laughs> no I guess he did ish anyway Hail Caesar is the film that Alex has chosen for Sunday film for 4.45pm let's move to Monday uh, the uh, 19th of July and if you're not out partying and burning masks and all the rest of it you might want to watch the TV instead you might want to stay in because you might be sensible and uh, the film that Alex is suggesting for Monday night is The Born Ultimatum. I don't know if anyone would ever consider me sensible, least of all you, Danny. But yes, the Born Ultimatum, the uh, third in the Born, what was the trilogy at the time. Uh, you and Howard obviously discussed this a bit at length for a couple of episodes back. Uh, this is, I mean, all all three of these Born films are just great action films. But this is where everything comes to a head. He finally finds out the truth of uh, why he he has amnesia, uh, who he is, who did this to him, and why. And just absolutely wonderful. I haven't seen it since it came out. And I'm really looking forward to rewatching it. And uh, part of the Bourne franchise now, which I apologise, I don't know what just happened there. I think it sounds like a phone fell, but don't worry, let's just carry on like professionals. Um, so uh, yeah, th- this is part of the Bourne franchise now because, of course, there was then that awful Jeremy Renner film afterwards, and then Matt Damon came back to do one more, but it, it wasn't really as good. It, I have seen been done. that one. I think that one was literally just called Jason Bourne, which is yeah. very very lazy. I'm and with Howard. I didn't mind the Jeremy uh, the Jeremy. That one. The Jeremy Renner one. These are not my normal teeth. Uh, I didn't think that one was that bad, but it wasn't anywhere near as compelling Mm. as the original three. But also, uh, and this will again come as a revelation to you, but then there was a TV series um, uh, in 2019 called Treadstone, which was was set in the world of Bourne because uh, Treadstone was the name of the project that it turned out had turned him into what he was. Oh, I see. And that was the agency that he was trying to track down. No, (laughs) you sort of know it from the beginning. That's true. Um, anyway. It is great. It's All three of those movies are great, but this one in particular I remember really loving. The Bourne Ultimatum, ITV4, 9pm on Monday the 19th of July. Let's move to Tuesday the 20th of July, uh, Channel 5, 9pm. I was reading about the Scots earlier, so to cheer him up a bit, we've chosen Braveheart. Yes, that famous film where a Scotsman clearly plays William Wallace. Now, this might surprise you as to why I've picked this. I've not seen Braveheart, so I'm... I'm making myself sit down and watch it because it always it feels like one of those films that everybody should see. It's one of those ones that's always talked about, like one of those films you should see before you die, like The Godfather uh, or um, or something like a like an epic movie like Ben Hur or whatever. Uh, but Braveheart is a film I've, I've for whatever reason haven't got round to seeing. So I only know a couple of things. I know that there's a, there's a big battle at the end where a rousing speech is given where you know they'll take our lives when they'll take our freedom. And uh, it's to do with King Edward murders William Wallace's wife, and that's what sets the plot in motion. Have I got that right? You, well, um, yes. Yeah, so it's loosely based on on history, and you know, Scottish warrior William Wallace leads his countrymen in, in a rebellion to free his homeland from the tyranny of King Edward the First of England. Mm. So, you know, the English are the bad guys in this. Patrick McGowan, who people may remember ah. from The Prisoner, way back when he plays Edward the First. Uh, Mel Gibson's in there, and 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 it is a tour de force showing what Mel Gibson can do, not just as an actor, but he also directed it, and it won five Oscars. He's a very good director, des- I have to say, deservedly. Sh- 
so it won for best picture it won for best director uh, and it won a few others as well cinematography and, and and a couple of other technical ones it got nominated for quite a few and all but but yes it, it, it won five oscars and deservedly so good classic movie See, I can pick classics sometimes, as well as the obscure ones. No, that's good. Okay, let's move to Wednesday. Uh, So Wednesday, the 21st of July, uh, 6.15pm on ITV4, uh, Licence to Kill. Yes. Now, anybody that knows you or I know that we're we're both quite uh, big fans of the James Bond franchise as a whole. I really have a soft spot for the Timothy Dalton James Bond films. Uh, They are two distinctly different films from one another. This is the second of the two. Okay. Um, Now, someone has said to me that one of the problems with the Bond films is the plots never make any sense and they're too confusing. That's fair. Okay, but... I like the fact that you've got a very short sentence there that really sums up the whole movie. And I don't know if you actually want to read from your notes. No, that's absolutely fine. His best friend, CIA agent Felix Leiter, gets married. And then a drug uh, cartel lord enacts revenge on him. And so James Bond takes it upon himself to get revenge. That's it. It's a revenge film. Yeah. It's James Bond as a revenge film. Your notes put that more succinctly, but that wasn't bad for you. Well done. Thank you teacher i don't know what to say but yeah it's it's absolutely brilliant robert darby is uh, sanchez the villain of the piece um there's also a henchman played by benicio del toro who doesn't get much screen time but as with all benicio del toro characters he really makes that count he was about 20 when he made this he's he's very young very fresh face and yet he's sinister Yes. And this, because because normally the henchmen in Bond films are normally larger than life and they're scary and they're intimidating mm. and Bond outwits them because he can't out you know out out sort of fight them. But but with this, he, this henchman wasn't big and strong, no. and he was. But there was just something about he was dark. Well, this feels like the complete antithesis of the the James Bond franchise as a whole. Almost like a precursor to the Daniel Craig ones, where they took they stripped away everything, gadgets, glitz, gla- uh, glamour, you know. Uh, all of this, the, the hallmarks and silliness you expect in a Bond film, it feels like that that is that was purposely taken out. They got rid of most of it. One of the things they did keep, which I'm sure would have been to the relief of many a Bond fan, is Desmond Llewellyn, yes, who had cute. the largest role of any of the Bond films. He probably had more screen time in License to Kill than in all of the Bond films combined. Um, what about... Uh, Octopussy, he has, he, he's in the third act quite a bit. He's in it a couple of times, but but normally he's only in. He does a few scenes. He does have quite a big role. Whereas in this, in this he's actually part of the plot, yeah. and and he 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 comes in halfway through, mm. and I think he kind of. Not, I wouldn't say steals the show, but I think he throws in his probably his best performance. Yeah, I think. Un- Uncle Q's quite fun to watch, and yeah. he's literally referred to as Uncle Q at yeah. some point. Um, I, I do have to say, uh, this is very different to the normal James Bond effect. Like the, the previous Dalton film, Living Daylights, is very typical over the top silliness. This one, it felt like it was a reaction to. Well, the Bond franchise is always a reaction to what's popular in cinema at the time, but it really felt like, because the 80s were full of action movies, revenge movies, and it really felt that they were looking at that, uh, Eon Productions looked at that and thought, look, we we maybe need to try this instead, because times are changing, audiences' tastes are changing, let's go with something a bit more hard-boiled. They also had an actor that was, was you know, with no disrespect meant to any of the other actors that came before, but this guy was a Shakespearean actor, he was mm. part of the RSC, and... and and was very keen to to take it back to the Fleming roots, and and so mm. with so the first film was originally written for Roger Moore, who then retired, and so was was kind of I'm sure they did redrafts and things, but basically it was a Roger Moore film, which was adapted for Timothy Dalton. This was an original film for him. It was a departure because it wasn't based on any book. Mm. It, the title wasn't from any Fleming book either, uh, and and a very original story, and and it was tailor made for him. 
And it didn't do well at the time. No, uh, I think it's one that found its audience years later. Um, and it certainly feels like, a, as I said, a precursor to the Daniel Craig part of the series. Um, it feels the closest in tone to the original Ian Fleming books. The books are very different to the films. Um, in the books, Bond is a lot more of a... Uh, more of a, a regular detective that sort of just ends up in these big situations and he's also a lot more of a cold-hearted ruthless horrible he's, he's man de- he's described I believe Judy Dench has described him in, in as, as her character of M has described Bond often as a blunt instrument yeah. and that's kind of the, the that's the Fleming the one yeah. it, so if you're somebody who likes the Daniel Craig films but doesn't isn't really a big fan of the other ones if you think they're all a bit cliched mm. or a bit samey or cheesy or what have you check this one out yeah, this one's in the sure. spirit of, of the best of Daniel Craig there's a particular moment um that they lifted directly from one of the books, uh, the book version of Live and Let Die, which stayed with me because it was so violent that it, and it, and sinister. And they put it in the movie. And I remember the first time I watched the movie, I went, I can't believe they've put that in a film. It's great. Um, I think I know the scene you mean, but we won't yeah. say too much about it. And also, spoiler alert, but. one of the top tier Bond themes as well. I okay. love it. Oh, that's interesting. The music at the time, this was one of the one of the very few that wasn't done by John Barry. That no, was Michael um, Kamen, who mostly worked with a lot of rock artists like Pink Floyd and Metallica, and very, very uh, uh, classically trained, great composer in his own right. But but also in movies, was doing all those big American action movies that this. some people were saying this was trying to emulate. He did all the music for the Die Hard films and all the Lethal Weapon films. Probably had a part to play with it, yeah. But I do believe John Barry suggested him as well, I think. Well, Okay. That he said, look, try this guy. Right. Anyway, License to Kill, uh, ITV4, 6.15pm, a a hard-edged, more serious Bond film with a great performance from Timothy Dalton. Let's move now to Thursday. Final film of the week from Alex uh, next Thursday, which is the 22nd of... Yeah, that'll do. um, (laughs) Something of July. uh, 20-something of July. And uh, we've got Blade Runner 2049 on Great Movies at 9pm. Yep, this is a channel that keeps coming up on the show. It's Channel 33. It's because it's been renamed. It sounds new. It was new. Sony movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's Channel 33 on Freeview. Um, I love this movie so much. Um, I, I'm not one of the biggest fans of the original Blade Runner. I, I like it, and I, I can see it's influenced a lot of things. But the film itself, it's not the most amazing thing as far as I'm concerned. But the Blade Runner 2049 visually is one of the most amazing movies I've ever seen. And um, it's it's very, very uh, slow-paced and a slow burn, much like the original. Uh, you have Ryan Gosling as the main character this time. He is investigating uh, a series of uh, murders which seem unconnected, but he's also tying up some loose ends um, to do with uh, former replicants. And he's tasked with trying to track down uh, Harrison Ford's character from the first film, Deckard, who has been on the run since the events of that first movie. Okay. Um, and directed by Denis, uh, Denis Villeneuve. Vi- uh, Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. Uh, who uh, who, dire- who directed that Arrival. The, upco- <laughs> the upcoming uh, Dune remake is his as well. Uh, he's a very, very uh, striking filmmaker. Okay, yeah. And um, uh, Anna de Armas, who I believe is going to be the Bond girl in the forthcoming Bond film if it ever comes out. Yep, she's in it. Jared Leto is in it. Uh, you've got Dave Bautista right at the beginning and probably the best scene in the film, in my opinion. Not because it's Dave Bautista, just I just really love that scene. Um, a really, really interesting 
uh, plot. And uh, Edward James Olmos. I forgot he was in it. Who was in yep. the original? Um, and uh, yeah, he, he's he's in there as well, briefly, I believe. Yes, for, for from, a scene. From what I remember. But yeah, the, a, gr- a great sequel, visually stunning, as was the original one. You know, to, to be able mm. to be a worthy successor to Ridley Scott's masterpiece was no mean yeah. feat. Ridley Scott is, has not been that successful in doing no. follow-ups to his own masterpieces. So for someone else to do it, and it to won do an it Oscar so well. for cinematography, quite rightly. Roger Deakins, he got a standing ovation at that year's ceremony when he won. It won two. It also won for visual effects as well. So yeah. a double Oscar winning film. Uh, th- there are two scenes that really, really do stick out in my mind visually. There is a fight scene in uh, uh, an abandoned Vegas uh, casino with where they make use of projections during the fight scene. And then there is also a car that uh, ends up in, in the water. Um, those two scenes really, really stood out in my mind. And and Harrison Ford showing to me at least I think that he still got it. Yeah. That, that even at, when he wants to, he's an incredible actor. Yeah. And and you know he's not letting his age stop him being no. being this sort of action force you know and, in movies. And it works perfectly for Deckard in this film because it's a it's someone that has the weight of the world on his shoulders and all these regrets. And you could tell he really loved coming back to this role. It wasn't just for a paycheck. Mm. But I think no, the paycheck probably didn't hurt. But also one of the things I really really love because obviously there's been this this huge debate of the year. Is if you care if De- if Deckard is a replicant or not. People that made the original film are, are divided on that. It doesn't answer it. It's vague enough that if you go in thinking he is or he isn't, you will still feel that way by the end. Okay, but yeah, great to see uh, Harrison Ford there back doing what what he's really good at and uh, and, and just interesting as well I don't know if you saw this recently but Harrison Ford's in the UK at the moment he's up in Yorkshire somewhere filming the fifth Indiana Jones film and yeah. there's footage of him with the with the, the old uniform oh, and, you know, the fedora it. the jacket and all and that and the cafe latte and you just think you know oh, it's, it's great he's, he's back he's still got it he's yeah. like even Han Solo in, in the new Star Wars films he was one of the few things I've really loved in, the, in that uh, yeah. that uh, sequel trilogy yeah, yeah, he no, he's, he's really good, and and you know, long may he continue. Yeah, um, last time I was on the show, you asked me what if I could only pick one film for someone to go see out of everything I've talked about, um, and this uh, this time around, it would be Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Okay, I'm not going to ask you, but you okay. don't have to now. No. Anyway, Alex, thanks very much. Um, next week on the film guide, it's the it's the return of Sam uh, leading the, the proceedings alongside Chris, and then you're back the week after because of something about a fifth. Uh, fifth Friday in the month. Oh, did I draw the, sh- uh, the short straw? Or no, my you, little no, you chomped at the bit and said, please, can I have that? And I uh, said, yes. Oh, I, if you'll let me through the door, then I will absolutely be back. I guess we will. See you later. See you.